Well, let's come to the Word of God this morning, and let's close out our study of the book of Romans with a great study of chapter 16. Uh, just for a couple of things to note, first of all, that was Mark Saloria. He is the guy we're introducing you tonight as a candidate for our ministry of worship and music. And so we're very grateful for Mark and Tangie to be here with our kids this weekend. So thanks, guys. We appreciate that very much. You met him a few weeks ago when he was here to lead, and, and so today it makes it official. And secondly, if you're visiting here this morning, uh, I don't normally sound this mature. <clears throat> I'm, I'm doing with a James Earl Jones kind of voice today, or Barry White. I'm trying to work on it. Uh, but uh, last week, completely out. I could not do anything. So uh, Dave Owen uh, graciously consented to do all three. So anyway, we're, we're just... Uh, how many of you have been dealing with this thing at one point or another? Just the cough and cold and stuff? Thank you. Stay away from me, please. Uh, you know, and I'll stay away from you. We'll do fist bumps with our elbows or something just to kind of protect each other. But it's been wild. But we're grateful that God has much in store for us in our study of the Word. If you have a Bible with you, we're going to turn to Romans chapter 16. Uh, If you don't, there's one in the uh, little rack in the chair in front of you. If you're on the front row or something, just look around there. Or people behind you, just tap you on the shoulder and give you one right down here. Somebody can find one. We'll get you fixed up. Um, What page is it on in that particular Bible? Okay, good. Yeah. It's like the Snoopy one when the adults are talking. So, uh, yeah, so it's in the bulletin as to what page it's on, but it's Romans chapter 16. Uh, Brian preached the first two services today. He was brave. He read the entire chapter. Uh, look at the first 16 verses. I'm not going to read those. Uh, anybody's guess as to how you pronounce some of those names. He ended up calling a couple of guys. Let's just call him Adam. You know, um, people like Aristopolis and and all those kind of things. So we want to just kind of jump over those wonderful names, starting with his commendation of Phoebe, uh, and then going through a list of folks. He's just greet this one, greet that one, greet the other one. And that's important. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. But for right now, let's just move down to verse 17. He's just greeted all these. And so he says, now I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out For those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught, avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And then let's jump over to verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. And thus ends the letter to the Roman church. So let's pray together. Ask God to show us the pertinent points here as we see this finishing chapter and also to see what he's connecting to the previous 15 chapters as we wrap this up together. So let's pray. Father, we pray that there will be nothing between our ears and our hearts and your word that no obstacles will be in the way, that your spirit will be able to be unimpeded as he takes truth right to our heart. And Father, we ask that you would allow us to hear any particular point of application that, that you want us to understand, that we would be faithful 
to be obedient to the command of the eternal God, as he says here, and that we would be diligent to live in every way so that your name is glorified forevermore through folks just like us who have been redeemed by the gracious gift of life through Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Now, Paul is talking here about being strengthened. And so in that idea of us growing stronger or being enabled or those kind of things, uh, I think it's interesting that we as a culture, we as a people are fascinated by things that are strong and things that are uh, able to perform feats of heroic strength. And, and, and that's why I believe, I'm really committed to this, that Superman and Supergirl are such a big deal. I mean, we're, we're back at Supergirl uh, version number 273, I think, right now on television. Uh, back when I was a kid, Superman was there. It always confused me. I heard that the actor who uh, was playing Superman actually committed suicide. I'm trying to figure out how did he do that. I'm trying to figure out how would, you know, I just did as a kid. Couldn't figure out how he would actually do that because there was only one thing that Superman was afraid of and only one thing that Supergirl's afraid of. Can we say it in unison? Kryptonite. Yeah, you bunch of... Yeah, you're just like me. We're Marvel comic people, whatever. We, we understand these things. Now, what is kryptonite? For those who are, who are not informed of such things, it is that substance which somehow or another made it to the planet Earth from Krypton, the planet from which Superman originated. And it, therefore, when he is exposed to it, it has this effect on him drains him of all of his energy. It sucks all the, the power out of him. And he becomes less than, than as powerful as human beings when he is exposed to kryptonite. Some people are doing, David, this is Romans. This is not, you know, where is this coming from? Paul is saying that there are people in our lives who functionally are kryptonite for us as believers. They suck the life out of us. They drain us of energy. They remove from us spiritual vitality. They take that which God has intended to strengthen and enable and they just take it right away. And instead of being strong and mighty and standing firm in the strength of the Lord, we become susceptible to anything that comes down the pike. We find ourselves uh, at risk because we're not really walking in the fullness of the strength of God. And so if you want to not trivialize, but at least get this in some place that you can relate to it, Paul is telling us of those things which are going to strengthen, and he's telling us of those things which are going to be drainers, those things which will suck the life, juices, and power, and force out of the gospel in our lives. Now, he begins by talking about the high value of relationships. Now, it's, it's only because of time that we didn't read those first 16 verses, because Paul is saying, there are greetings that I want to give. Now, remember, Paul has not yet ever been to Rome. You remember that part, right? He's not been there yet. But he is sending greetings. If you'll look through this passage, there are 26 individuals that he sends greetings to by name. Never been there. But by name, he is sending greetings to 26. There are two others that he greets. You know, it's like so-and-so's mama and so-and-so's brother. I mean, there's, there's others he, he refers to directly. And, and as he's doing that, he's saying there, there are about 17 men there, about nine women. He's not a, a misogynistic uh, apostle, as he's been accused of. He's saying there, there's 70 men. There's nine women there I'm talking about. There's a couple of couples. There are uh, a number of uh, households represented. There are three fellow Jews. There are even some slaves that he's mentioning by name. He is basically saying poor or rich. I don't care. Uh, well thought of or never heard of. I don't care. These are my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I love the body of Christ. 
relationships have high, high value for the Apostle Paul. So I was thinking about this. You know, I, I've been away for a couple of weeks this, this fall and, and, and thinking through what would it be like to be away for an extended period of time. And I write a letter back to Providence. And, and I want to say to whoever's preaching, I'll say, hey, listen, by the way, when you're up there preaching Sunday, would you greet fill in the blank? Who, who would I mention? I mean, I'd, I'd want to I greet the pastors that we're working with all the time. I mean, these are, these are our buds in ministry. These are our life partners in, in serving Christ together. I love these brothers that we get to work with. Can't wait to see whether God has confirmed in your heart that, that Mark's going to join us. We're excited about that possibility. And watching each member added to the team, it's exciting. And then I look at our elders and I'm thinking, man, I can't, I can't not mention all of those guys. And, and then look at our deacons, and those are just an amazing group of men. And, and then you think through, who are the wives belonging to these guys? I can't not mention them either. And then I start thinking about all the life class leaders and all the people who are working in the parking lot and people in the hospitality team and people that I just know from small groups ministries and, and people who are just... The, the random folks that I just love because I get to shake your hand and hug your neck every Sunday, except when I'm sick and then I elbow bump you. And, and I think, how would, how would I reduce it down to 26 names? And so I want to ask you this morning, if you were away from Providence, some of you are sitting here thinking, you know, I don't know five people in this place. Why not? Well, that's not a very friendly people. Maybe. Or maybe you're not a very friendly people. Kind of goes both ways, right? And so we have to think, what is the value that we place on relationships? Much of the epistle to the Romans in the second part of the book, from, from the, uh, the application side forward in, in chapter 12 going forward to the end, much of it is about applying the gospel message in the context of relationships, you need to love one another. You need to forgive one another. You need to bear with one another. You need to one another, one another, one another. It's all about relationships. Paul says there is a high, high value on relationships, and it gets down to knowing people's names, caring enough to listen to what they said to you when you say, hey, how are you? I'm, I'm David. Who are you? And they tell you, and right over there. Now that happens. And the best thing to do at that point is just say, excuse me, I'm an idiot. Um, When you told me your name, I was totally thinking about something else, and I apologize. What what did you say your name was? And then say, well, I'm just not good with names. Not if you don't try. And some of you, even if you try really hard, are really still horrible. But that's okay. Do you care about them? Do you care? But Paul cared about these people. Now, some of them he had met in other places. There was some mobility in, in the body of Christ in the Mediterranean. So some people he had met every, other places had come to Rome. So it wasn't like he was saying, yeah, I, I just know all these people because I've heard about them. Although that is true. By reputation, he had heard about them. But he had met some of them. He knew some of them. He had ministered with some of them. He had discipled people with some of them, done evangelism, suffered with some, been in jail with some. He had a high value on relationships. And then you get down to the the next section of the scriptures down around uh, verse 21 when he starts saying, I'm not just giving you greetings to. Let me tell you some of the people I'm with and I'm sending you greetings from. Timothy, my brother, I want you to make sure you know. And and I love this. You got Lucius and and Jason, Sosipater, who are his fellow kinsmen in verse 21. And then in verse 22, some of you may look at this and think, what's that about? I, Tertius, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. Is that Paul's? Other writing name, Tertius, what is that? No, it's what, they, this, this is a fancy vocabulary word if you ever take the SAT again. Amanuensis. 
That means stenographer. That means the one who is taking dictation. Paul is dictating, and Tertius is writing this stuff down. When it comes to verse 22, Paul's going like, Paul's been saying everything else. Tertius is saying, I, Tertius, write this and send you greeting also. You know, it ain't just Paul. It's me too. I love you too. And so that's who Tertius is. And then he goes on to Gaius and Erastus and Quartus and all these others. He said, these people are greeting you. It's not just me. Relationships matter in the body of Christ. He says, this is an important part of our life together. And therefore, there's this sweet, close fellowship, this loving gratitude that he has. And so when you gather together with family this week for Thanksgiving, a part of your Thanksgiving should be to look around you and see who God has placed in your life for good. And just say, praise God from whom all blessings flow for the joy of knowing. And then name some people. And let me tell you what, it wouldn't hurt anybody's feelings if you, bl- if you actually name some people sitting around the table with you. A little encouragement. Just to name them by name and praise God for them. But being in the city of Raleigh for 38 years now, what an honor for, for us as a family to have relationships that ex- extend far beyond just the body of Providence. Kathy and I, over the last several weeks, have been invited to a couple of the, the fall fundraisers you know, that, that come around for parachurch ministries each year. And, and this year, we got to go to the Young Life Banquet and to the FCA Banquet. And, and going to those places and seeing a ton of Providence people is just a great encouragement to see that you're out there. You're going for it, and you're helping support those kind of ministries. But for us also to be able to just look around the room, and, and, and we don't have any dog in either fight. We're not involved practically hands-on in any of the ministry. And we're some of the last people to leave the room both times because that's one of the few places where we're mixing it up with other brothers and sisters in the community of Christ here and just loving going from table to table and catching people and yelling across the room, hey, don't leave till we see you. That's a glorious thing. We're a part of the church in Raleigh. It's a glorious thing to be able to part, be a part of something where there's no competition, there's no jealousy, there's no bitter disputes, there's no anger, there's no critical spirits here. There's just the sense that we are the church of the living God. And he has blessed us with relationships that matter. And so we remember back to what Jesus said in John 13. By this, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples. How's that, Jesus? That you, that you love each other. That you love each other. That's a glorious picture here. What a display of genuine, spirit-driven, Christ-exalting love for one another in the body of Christ Paul is representing here. And you look at those first few verses and you think, man, uh, let me just skip over those things because I can't pronounce the names anyway. Don't miss the import of what Paul's saying. People matter. And these have been especially blessed in my life. And I have been completely blessed by knowing them. Well, then that brings us to verse 17. And you understand some of the angst that Paul is beginning to experience here. Relationships matter. People matter. Love for each other matters. Unity in the body of Christ really matters. Be of one mind, one heart, steadfast and enduring in love for each other and caring for each other and supporting each other. Now, let me tell you, I appeal to you, brothers, verse 17, watch out for those who cause division. For those who create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught, avoid them. Paul, I thought you were talking about loving everybody. I'm not talking about loving them. I'm saying watch out for those who are going to come in and try to destroy the fellowship of the body of Christ, who are trying to come in and sow seeds of dissent, 
who are coming in among you and are as cancers attacking the body. Watch out. You see how stark the contrast is between verse 16. These, these, I greet you in the name of Jesus. I love you for Christ's sake. We're one in the body of Christ. What a great testimony. I'm so proud of you. You're doing wonderful things. Now, there's going to be some folks among you who seek, seek to destroy and seek to come in and insidiously divide you. He says, I, I tell you, avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ. They come under the guise of, well, I'm doing this for righteousness sake. I'm coming in and they, they need, they need a, a voice of, you know, no, they don't need your voice. Well, I'm a Nathan. I'm coming in to speak. Well, God's got his own way of doing Nathans, and he doesn't do it that way. I'm speaking, you know, no. He says, they don't, they don't serve our Lord Christ. But they're serving their own appetites, their, their taste, their, their appetite, their desire for power, for influence, for, for having the upper hand, for being able to take what they know or think they know and use it to divide. He says, these people are not of the Lord Christ. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. They come and work themselves in amongst you. Truth. Write it down. We've said it many times through the years here. Just be aware of it. Whenever God is doing a work like he's doing in verses 1 to 16, it's God's building a great cathedral of the testimony of the love of Christ among his people. And whenever God builds a cathedral, here's the point. Satan will come right next door and build a chapel. And try to catch people before they get in the door. That's what Paul is saying. Look out. Because what's happening is that they are dividing you, first of all, for for these purposes of deviating doctrines. They're coming to you with things that are unsound teaching. And they're trying to dissuade you from the truth of the gospel of Christ. And and they're doing it a couple different ways. This is the primary thing. He said this unsound teaching is coming in. And they're going to come to you with either a super gospel or a sub gospel. They're going to come in with one that is based on legalism of all the stuff that you've got to do because theirs is a performance-driven faith. And they think that everything that God is going to think about you is based on how you've done for God. And in thinking that way, they absolutely do not understand the gospel of the grace of Christ. They don't understand forgiveness. They don't understand transformation. They don't understand changed hearts and lives. They believe that the gospel of Christ will only work on surface stuff and not deep-seated heart, deep sin in people's lives. Habits, traits that are insidious. We understand who have experienced the grace of Christ that God's work goes deep. And it cleanses us from how much unrighteousness? It cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And so there will be some who are coming and say, well, he can't do this. You're going to have to work your way along and gain the favor of God by doing mighty works and religious deeds and duties and, and towing the line and, and meeting our standards and our rules and our codes of ethics and all these kind of things. You've got to do it that way. That's the super gospel people, the legalists. And he says, but you've got another group who are going to come in and they're going to give you a sub gospel. Sin's not going to be as sinful. Salvation is not going to be as essential. As your, as your self-esteem. They're going to come and, and give you a message of, of positive thinking. They're going to come in and give you a message of, of how you can pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps. And, and you can, if you can conceive it, you can, you can achieve it. And, and off, he, off they go. You don't even need Jesus for this stuff. And they will not say the last part. They're just implying it in everything they're saying. It's not the gospel. And anytime Jesus 
is pushed out, either for grace purposes on the, the legalistic side or for, well, we don't really need them because we're not that lost on the human esteem side. You can just say, Paul, I get it. Watch out. Avoid people like that. Deviating doctrines will reduce us to a sniveling bunch of folks who have no understanding of what it means to be saved by the grace of Jesus. That's what unites us. We know what we were before, and we know what we are now because Christ has made the difference. So he says, watch out when people come in, either adding to or taking away from the gospel. That's not going to work. He says the second thing will happen is that they'll come in with divisive attitudes, destructive attitudes. They're, they're going to be ardent proselytizers for their point of view. They're going to come in and they're going to begin to think of themselves as the protector of righteousness because they think their gospel is better than Jesus' gospel. Therefore, they're going to try to get you praying upon the church, the united testimony of the body of Christ. They want to come in and pray upon the church as parasites. And Paul's saying this is going to happen. In every congregation, even to Ephesus, when he got together with the elders at Miletus before he went on to Jerusalem, he got together with the elders of the church and he says, listen, even among you, some are going to come as savage wolves among the flock. <clears throat> watch your doctrine and watch your life. They're important to go together. Nothing is much more dangerous than people who are thinking they are doing something righteous for God. And therefore, anything goes to accomplish their purpose. They're no longer bound by civility. They're not bound by the sense of the constraints of the gospel of living in righteousness and walking in holiness. They don't care about that. They just want to achieve their end. And therefore, we can use whatever means, as unscrupulous as they are, to accomplish what we're trying to to do because we're serving the righteous God that we have perceived in our own minds. And therefore, it's worth everything we're doing. He said, well, that, that doesn't really happen, does it? Have you heard the name ISIS? Does that, does that ring a bell? Or you can call him Daesh, or you can call him ISIL, or you can just call him those stinking terrorists. What are they doing? They think whoever their God is, that his righteousness is served by what they're doing. The world doesn't understand that. We in the body of Christ ought to get that. The world doesn't comprehend why someone would be so devoted to an idea that they would be willing to forsake all civility, all common decency, all sense of, of, of humanity to do such barbaric and brutal things to the human race because they think they're doing it for righteousness sake. You understand that? Now, when the world is trying to wring their hands to figure that out, we need to be thinking in terms of how do we pray them to Christ? How do we do what we can do to pray against his work to train them to come out of that? What I don't know. I'm not pretending to have the answer to that. Ever since Jesus came, the world's been trying to figure out how to, to root out evil in its purest form. But folks, here's the thing. The church of Jesus Christ is not immune to that same mentality. We will do whatever it takes to get our way in the church. We will manipulate, we will lie, we will cheat, we will gossip, we will tear down people's character, we will do those things. Paul says, watch out for those folks 
Because they will come in among you. Some of them will come with deviating doctrines that will absolutely look to destroy you from the inside out by rotting the principles that are there in the gospel for you to believe. But he said, there are others who will pretend that they're righteous, but they're coming in with nothing but destructive attitudes looking to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus says, they're going to be there. And so Paul says, there's a wake-up call for you. Watch out for these folks. They're going to try to divide you by their doctrines, by their attitudes, by their deceptions. They're going to come in not very often on the ISIS attack mode, full frontal attack. Most of the time, they're going to come in with deception and flattering words and try to get you on their side, appealing to you and getting you to bite the beautifully, attractively baited hook of whatever truth they can put with their lie and get you on their side. He said it happens in every church. Beware of those who do that. And then he says, here's what you need to do. And this is going to sound harsh. He said, but you need to be divided from them by distancing yourself from them. You need to avoid folks like that. And so the question comes back to our mind. Paul, you've talked about the importance of relationships and loving one another and caring for each other. You're now saying that we should... We should Avoid people. How how are we supposed to do that? Just ask yourself, are there folks in your life who are serving as kryptonites to your faith? Who are draining the energy out of your, your love for Christ and your love for his church? Who are causing you to question everything that goes on in churches and, and to distrust all authority, including the scriptures? And people who have an influence on you where, where somebody says, man, that was awesome. Well, yeah, if you like that kind of thing. I kind of like things that are awesome. Oh, well, what'd you think about that? I loved it. Oh, no more conversation. They're fishing. And someone come up to me after an amazing thing that we did at church one time. He says, what'd you think about that? I thought it was fantastic. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, it was pretty good, yeah. Yeah, what if I had said, I don't know about that. Well, let me tell you, I and some other people have thought about it, and we don't like that either. And what are we going to do about it? And I'm going like, Excuse me a second. Paul says, avoid you. Thank you very much for this conversation. When you have a, a heart change, we can continue your conversation. You're not good for my spiritual life. I, I will not listen to an evil report. I will not listen to a, a divisive word. I, I will not entertain that which is offensive to the eyes of God. And you say, where do you get this, Warner? It's all through the scriptures. Look at Proverbs chapter 6, for example. It says in verse 16, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. And then down in verse 19, he speaks of two specifically, a false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers. God despises that. And Paul says, watch out for those folks and avoid them. They are kryptonite to your soul. Don't let them suck the lifeblood out of the unity of the body of Christ. Paul comes again in his letter to Titus. He says, as for a person who stirs up division, warn him once, warn him twice, and then have nothing more to do with him. New American Standard says, reject such a factious man. And we, we keep thinking, well, I'll just work with him. Just work with him, you know. I'll just keep loving him and working with him. And, and it may be that God's called you to do that. But in some situations, he doesn't say stay and fight. He says flee. You need to isolate that cancer from the church. It's not healthy to the body of Christ. He 
He says, don't, don't go there. And so he says, the, the best thing to do is give them no platform, give no room for them to work their evil into the fabric of the body, but lovingly and firmly turn them away. So you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm still rejoicing in the Lord. I, I don't really need to hear what you're trying to say to me right now. And the more we can just say, Mm-mm, no. Uh, if you've got something unifying, praiseworthy, noble, laudable, excellent, any such thing, I'll think with you on that. But if you're coming to, to divide and sow seeds of dissent and discord, mm, no thank you. Paul says, even to the church of Rome, after he's mentioned these 28 people, he says, folks are going to come into the midst of you and try to mess up what the Spirit has done. Don't let them do it. This is too important for the glory of the name of the living God. He says, now, here's, here's what I want you to do instead. So he moves to the positive. He's not just saying stay away from folks. He's saying, here's what I want you to do. Instead of doing that, I want you to have this balance, this perfect balance of the attitudes that you need to have in terms of how you deal with this thing. Because you're going to need something that you don't normally have access to. He says, I want you to understand this. Your obedience, verse 19, your obedience is known to everybody. So I'm rejoicing over you that. You have been so faithful. And he's talking again to these people in Rome and specifically greeting these people that he's named by name. He said, but this is a glorious thing. He says, your, your obedience goes out there. I am excited to be associated with a people like you who love Jesus and whose testimony is out there in such a great way. He says, but here's what I want you to understand. You want to follow this advice very carefully. He says, you want to make sure that you are wise as to what's good but you're innocent as to what's evil. Wise about the good, innocent about the evil. Wise as serpents, innocent as doves, Jesus said it. What's he saying? He says, I'm going to give you some weighty instruction here about how to treat those who are trying to divide the body and bring dissent where God has brought unity. He said, and you can't do that in your own power. So I want you to be wise regarding the good. I want you to to receive the wisdom of God, the discernment from God, the judgment of God, to understand how you should treat those. You you don't want to be mean to them. No, no, not at all. But, But just avoid what they're trying to do. So you need discernment, wisdom. You need to be able to have understanding from on high to be able to deal with that. And so therefore, I want you to be wise as to what's good. I want you to understand how to do good, why it's important, how you go about implementing it into the the fabric of your life. That's what I want you to do. You are wise to what's good. But as far as evil is concerned, I want you to be a babe in the woods. I want you to be so pure that your mind can't even understand when people do evil things. You just kind of go, I don't even get that. Why? why, What? Why would anybody? I I can't even, my mind doesn't work in that way. And Paul's going, that's the way you ought to think. I'm innocent to what evil is, is there. I, I don't even want to know how that mind operates. I don't want to be getting on that train of thought. Now, our world's saying, in a twisted, perverted way, innocence is a bad thing. Have you noticed? Our world considered somebody who is, well, that, that woman is a true innocent. And they may even do the little bunny ears. She is a true innocent. What does that mean? She's clueless. She's so out of step with society. As far as street savvy, zero. She's got none. She doesn't know. She's a rube. She she doesn't understand anything. That guy, he is an innocent. Meaning what? 
I mean, he didn't, he just understand how the world works. He didn't get it. And so in, in trying our best to kind of be up on how the world works, we have found that we have allowed the world to influence us more than we influence the world. And we have found ourselves very wise, streetwise, savvy about evil. We understand that. And Paul says, no, no, no. I want you to be wise about what's good. I want you to be innocent of what is evil. See, what happens, we're, we're trying, to, trying to make sure we're getting schooled in the way the world thinks so we can minister in that context. Okay, maybe. But basically in the process of getting schooled, we end up getting soiled. And that's not what God wants. So he comes to the end of this and says, now, here's what you need to understand, that the gospel of Christ that I've been talking about for 15 chapters now, although there were no chapters when Paul wrote it, there's all this that I've been telling you, you can be strengthened when the world around you is surrounding you with kryptonite type of life-draining influences. You can be strengthened by the power of the gospel. I've told you all this stuff so that you will understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and that there is a strengthening power in this gospel. And any kind of short-term gains that those divisive people are going to bring, any kind of gains that the enemy of your soul, Satan, is going to be able to establish among you, they will be short-lived and they may hurt right now and they will hurt right now. But here's the thing, you will never be able to fear those things as long as you know through the gospel of Jesus Christ that they are short-lived victories and the ultimate victory has been won by Jesus. The gospel gives you hope. The final chapter has been written and Jesus wins. In verse 20, he says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That's good news, people. The God of peace. Now think of the image there. The God of peace is going to war for you because there is a threat to peace coming from the enemy of your souls and God is going to crush him. Now, is this a new promise we have in Jesus? No, it's an old promise we have in Jesus. In Genesis chapter 3, in the garden, when, when sin first entered the world through Adam and Eve's choice, and God is speaking to the serpent to introduce this, he says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. You're going to be able to have a short-term thing, a victory toward the one I'm going to send who's the Savior of all, but he will bruise your head and he will crush you under his feet. The promise of the Messiah in salvation was already there in Genesis 3. And Jesus now, the God of peace, will crush Satan. He will not have a chance against you. And so in chapter 8 of the same book, he says, look, I want you to understand that I consider the sufferings of this present time, they're not even worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed in us. Yeah, it may be tough for a time being, but here's the thing. God will crush. The God of peace will crush the threat to peace in your life. And then down in verse 25, the gospel of Christ is going to strengthen you. And he doesn't use the word that we normally use for power or strength or that sort of thing. Here he uses the word from which we get our English word steroids. It's, it's a word that, that brings this causing someone to become stronger in the sense of, of more firm and, and more unchanging in their attitude or belief. And so they're growing stronger in their resistance to the enemy and, and to falsehoods. And he says their faith is strong, their resolve is fixed, their character is unshakable because they have been strengthened 
by the gospel of Christ. They're standing firm. And the enemy can do what he wants to, but he cannot take them out of the game. And then he gives three according to's in, in these verses. According, he'll strengthen you according to this, according to this, according to this. The first is according to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Paul says, this is my gospel. I, I didn't come up with it on my own. Nobody told me. Galatians 1 says, Jesus himself preached this gospel to me when I was apart and with him in the desert. And this is the gospel that I proclaimed to you. It is the gospel that is consistent with everything he ever said, with everything the apostles have taught. It is the gospel of Jesus, the one who was crucified for your sin, dead, buried, put sin and death in the ground, rose again, and gives you the privilege of having life forevermore in his name. You win. This is my gospel. According to that gospel, you can be strong. According to the revelation of the mystery of the gospel. What's that mystery? It's been hidden for ages past, but now it's been revealed. It's not just for the Jewish people. It's for all people and all nations. And you Romans need to understand this. It is for you and for all who will hear the message from the lips of people like you. It is the gospel that is making you stronger and stronger in your faith, confident in your hope, steadfast in your willingness to stand firm in Christ. And then the the command of the eternal God, he says, according to that, according to the command of God, you obeyed and I rejoiced in your obedience because you said, I believe God and then I obeyed. I trusted Jesus and then I did what he said. He said, that's awesome. You will be strengthened whenever you obey. You'll be strengthened whenever you see the mystery of the gospel is that the gospel is for you, whoever you are. And you can be strengthened by the gospel when you understand it is the gospel of Jesus Christ once crucified for all the sins of the earth, that all who put their trust in him may have everlasting life in his name. And so he comes to the end of this thing and he says in verse 27 as if he's just like, I'm done. I'm done. To the only wise God be glory forevermore. Amen. I can't think of a thing else that I want to add. Amen. And so we come after almost a year studying Romans 16, and we come to that place, and, and he wants us to be able to see, yes, you can be strong in your relationships in Christ and experience the love of Christ in a powerful way. You can be steadfast against all the deceptions of the enemy because of the truth of the gospel, and you can be strengthened in your faith because there is no other name by which we must be saved but through the gospel and in the name of Jesus. So, Last three questions for you. Who are your friends and family in Christ who are encouraging you in that way? And are you surrounding yourself with folks who will take you in a direction of righteousness? Second question is, who are the people who are your kryptonites? Who you're allowing to drag you down when God's saying, I want to build you up. You say, well, how can I do evangelism? That's not talking about not doing evangelism. Uh, you still have that responsibility to go and, and interact with those folks. But as far as who's influencing your thinking, is it the people who are encouraging you on in Christ or is it the kryptonite folks who are dragging you down and sucking the life forces out of you? And third question is, where is the true source of your spiritual strength if it's not a ready rehearsal of the gospel in your mind day after day? For Jesus' sake, I have been redeemed and I no longer am alive, but Christ living in me. And therefore, I am an overcomer and the God of peace will trounce under his feet the enemies of my soul. And so Jesus is the gospel. My eyes will be fixed on the king of glory. That's our charge, folks. 
That's what he's called us to be about. And that's why we as the body of Christ look around and see allies all over the room. We will walk with Christ. And if you don't know Christ yet, to be able to look around the room and see people who are praying for you and excited for you to meet this Jesus who will radically turn your world upside down and give you victory over all things and bring you into the sweet, adoring love of the Savior and those great relationships that matter forever that are here for the people of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. This is a week of of expressing gratitude. We thank you. We do not take the gospel for granted. We do not think that we know it all and therefore we're jaded by just a repetition of things over and over again. Lord, we are we're moved by what we see. We're stirred up in our hearts when we consider Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith. And Lord, when we look to those who are loved by you, and we know that they are brothers and sisters of ours in this family, we want to be more intentional about making sure that our loving relationships with each other are strong and that we're encouraged by those relationships. And Father, when there's someone who is draining and sucking the life forces out of us because they're living in a way that's divisive or sowing seeds of dissent or or being just a wet blanket on the gospel, Father, give us wisdom and discernment to know how to be wise toward what is good and innocent toward what is evil and be able to discern how to avoid the influence of their lives and ours and let the influence of our lives toward them be strong for Christ's sake. Lord, we love you. And we want to live for you. And we want to make a difference for you. May we be changed from the inside out, strengthened by the power of Christ. And we will give you praise. It's in his name we thank you. Amen.